0: The first of my posts to the Facebook group was a focus summary of Book 10, Chapters 1 through 3. In Chapter 1, all of Gringoire's shallowness and pretentiousness is in full bloom. He has abandoned any thought of Esmeralda, whom he still enjoys reminding people is his wife, because of her association with such unpleasant things as hanging. The vagrants remain concerned for her which he attributes to their own dim life prospects and lack of artistic imagination. He is glad to learn that she escaped and took refuge in Notre-Dame, but any rare further thought concerns only the well-being of the goat. He juggles for a living by day and writes scathing memorials by night. One day, while studying the outside carvings of a chancel, he feels a hand on his shoulder— and turns to see his former master, the archdeacon. The archdeacon begins to question him. How is he? What is he doing? Does it amuse him? And while it is clear to us he is circling around the only subject that matters to him, Gringoire offers guileless and garrulous answers about his eating habits, his entertainments, and his philosophies of life. In the midst of his ramblings, a company of archers rides up in a brilliant cavalcade, and Gringoire remarks on how Dom Claude seems to stare at one of the officers. Claude Frollo says he thinks he knows him, and that his name is Phoebus de Chateaupers. Gringoire recalls once knowing a woman who swore by the name of Phoebus, but he can't seem to remember who. Claude Frollo asks Gringoire whether he has envied those fine fellows in their warlike array. But Gringoire, always shallowly self absorbed, prefers what he calls his philosophy and independence in rags. Finally, Claude Frollo gets to the real question around which he has been hovering Pierre Gringoire, what have you done with that little gypsy dancer? Gringoire is confused by what he naively sees as an abrupt change of subject. He is surprised the archdeacon still thinks of her. The archdeacon is surprised that Gringoire doesn't. After all, she once saved his life. Claude Frollo tells Gringoire that though Esmeralda was saved and given sanctuary in Notre-Dame, Parliament has issued a decree, and in three days she is to be hanged in the Place de Grève. He reminds Gringoire that she saved his life, and asks if he does not want to do anything to help her. Gringoire replies, With all my heart, Dom Claude. But what if I should get myself into trouble? It seems that, on the contrary, some of his heart was held in reserve for himself. He boasts of a lively imagination, and says he will devise other expedients for saving her— Perhaps the king would pardon her. Perhaps they could drop a petition to the midwives, declaring her to be pregnant. Perhaps they could simply put their faith in God. Claude Frollo has something else in mind. He proposes that Gringoire come to the church, change clothes with Esmeralda, let her walk out, and allow himself to be hanged in her place. Gringoire declares himself too fond of life to accept this plan and when Claude Frollo reminds him of his debt, he reminds Claude Frollo that there are plenty of other debts that he has not paid. The priest exhorts him to be generous, as she was in saving him, and his impassioned words bring a tear to Gringoire's eye. He yields to the suggestion, exalting the heroic gesture in his imagination as one worthy of a noble poet such as he." but when Claude Frollo offers his hand, saying, It is settled, then, Gringoire is quickly swept back into reality, and declaring the plan absurd, says that he will not do it. He proposes that instead he rally the vagrants, brave fellows who love Esmeralda, to carry her off the following night. He leans forward to whisper the details of his plot, but asks first, Is the little goat still with the girl? When Claude Frollo returns to his cell, he finds his brother Jehan waiting for him. Jayan proclaims that he has finally seen the light. He should be prudent and studious. He should not quarrel and lie. He should go to chapel every day. He admits that he has trampled his brother's advice beneath his feet, and he says that he is being punished for it. He is contrite and penitent and says he wishes to become a licentiate like Claude Frollo had always wanted. But to do that, he needs money. When Claude Frollo refuses him, he declares, In that case, I shall turn vagabond, and he hurries down the stairs. Claude Frollo, ever unable to deny his brother, throws him a purse, saying, again, that it is the last money he shall ever get from him. We then move to the Court of Miracles, where there is more uproar than usual in the Tavern of the Vagabonds. They chat in low tones as if planning some great enterprise, and between the legs of every man glistens a weapon. Among them is one individual in full armor who was so entirely hidden by his warlike habit, that nothing was to be seen of him but an impudent, red, snub nose, a lock of light curly hair, a rosy mouth, and a pair of bold eyes. It is Jean Frollo de Moulin, who, as he threatened, has turned vagabond. Sitting at the back of the room, dreamily musing before the fire, is Pierre Gringoire. It is Jeanne's voice, rising above the uproar, that we hear proclaim their plan. They will, quote, assault the church, break open her doors, carry off the lovely damsel in distress, save her from her judges, unquote. And then, in words that are ominous in a way even he does not know, quote, save her from the priests, unquote. In his enthusiasm, he throws hanging Quasimodo into the bargain. When Clopin Troifoux cries out, Midnight, all the vagrants rush from the tavern with a clatter of arms and iron, and a procession of dark, silent men marches on toward Notre-Dame. The second of my posts was called The Comic Relief of Gringoire. When Gringoire comes back on the scene, we are given a moment to breathe and to laugh— After watching Esmeralda tortured, degraded, imprisoned, rescued, scorned, and attacked, we needed a comic interlude. And no one can provide one like Gringoire. The contrast between his own inflated self-image and the reality of his pettiness always provides us with a good dose of humor. He fancies himself a great philosopher, seeing a thousand ideas in the sparks that sprinkle from the fire— a great artist, quote, able to roam the realms of imagination upon the wings of Pegasus, unquote. and a great soul worthy of a noble and poetic death, or too important to die. He is able to preserve his self-image as a writer and philosopher, despite the fact that his day job involves balancing chairs on his head. I am a Peronian philosopher, replied Gringoire. "'and I keep everything equally balanced. "'And how do you earn your living? "'I still write occasional epics and tragedies, "'but what brings me in the most "'is that trade which you have seen me follow, Master, "'namely, upholding pyramids of chairs in my teeth. "'That is a sorry trade for a philosopher. "'Tis keeping up equilibrium all the same,' said Gringoire. "'When one has but a single idea, "'he finds it in everything.' He is able to talk the self-aggrandizing talk of the epic hero, while keeping a keen eye on reality and self-preservation. When Claude Frollo asks, Don't you want to do anything to help her? He answers, With all my heart. But what if I should get myself into trouble? His is a comical arrogance, absolutely guileless in nature. Instead of blaming him for his disproportionate ego— I find myself just wanting to pat him on the head. You can only shake your head in amusement when he says such things as, quote, Anaxagoras said that he came into the world to admire the sun. And besides, I have the pleasure of spending all my days from morning till night with a man of genius, to wit, myself. And that is a mighty agreeable thing, unquote. Or when, carried away, on the wings of Pegasus, no doubt, By the idea of dying a hero on the scaffold, he says, It is a death worthy of the wise man who has wavered and swung to and fro all his life. A death fully impressed with Pyrrhonism and uncertainty. A happy medium between heaven and earth, which leaves one in suspense. It is the right death for a philosopher, and perhaps I was predestined to it. It is magnificent to die as one has lived. Unquote. Oh, Gringoire, you are ridiculous, and sometimes I thank you for it. The last of my posts to the Facebook group was called The Poetry in Criticism. I love reading criticism of 19th century literature written in the same era. So often the criticism is as literate and poetic as the novels themselves. In that vein, I thought I would share this wonderful, reflective summary on the cast of characters we have encountered, written by Frank T. Marzials. I've created a yearbook of images to go with it, if you'd like to look at them on the Facebook group. Quote, What a motley medley of human creatures throng the place! Here is the great guild of beggar thieves, even more tatterdemalion and shamelessly grotesque than when Callot painted them for us two centuries later. Here is Gringoire, the out-at-elbows unsuccessful rhymer of the time. Anon, as Esmeralda, passes, accompanied by her goat. She lays down her little mat and dances lightly, gracefully, to her tambourine. See how the gossips whisper of witchcraft as the goat plays its pretty tricks. And who is that grave priest, lean from the long vigils of study, who stands watching the girl's every motion with an eye of somber flame? Close behind, in attendance on the priest, is a figure scarcely human, deformed, hideous, having but one cyclops' eye, also fastened on the girl." Among the bystanders may be seen the priest's brother, Jeanne, the Paris student of the town-sparrow type that has existed from the days of Villon even until now. Before the dancer has collected her spare harvest of small coins, a soldier troop rides roughly by, hustling the crowd, and in the captain the poor child recognizes the man who has saved her from violence some days before, the man to whom, alas, she has given her heart in such a group as this what elements of tragedy lie lurking and ready to outleap. Unquote. The callow images he mentions which you can see if you go over to the Facebook group seem entirely in keeping with Hugo's portrait of the vagabond guild. Gringoire would be appalled by his description as an out-at-elbows unsuccessful rhymer but we see that it is oh so apt. The priest is well-captured in a handful of words, lean from study, with eyes of somber flame. Jeon as a town sparrow type, which I take to mean utterly common and conventional, is perfect, and I may need to borrow that term. Our cast of characters is pictured in the Facebook group. Perhaps we should make some yearbook nominations. Only here it would be something like most likely to succeed most likely to die, and perhaps most likely to kill.